According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in Proverbs 14. We're in Proverbs 14 and uh, ready to look at verse 6 and verse 7. We'll uh, review a little bit about what we uh, looked at in verses 1 through 5 just because it's been uh, three weeks since we were here last. For those of you that are here live in class this morning, if you're listening to the MP3, then I have no idea. You probably listened to the last one just yesterday. But if you're here as a part of the live class, then it's been three weeks since uh, we've been here. And uh, I'm going to jump right back into it. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside our distractions and to humble us under His authority. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing that is ours to assemble together. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, your spirit of truth, Father, indwelling each one of us and leading us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, and call upon your faithfulness that the word of God is not dependent upon how smart we are to figure these things out. It's dependent upon how faithful you are to teach us, to show us, to feed us. And so, Father, we're here to feast this morning. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 14, and uh, let's run through these so we can get ourselves caught up here. We started with verses 1 through 3, what's called an inclusio. Chapter 14 begins with a three-verse inclusio, and so we outlined that under main point one, even showing the uh, image there to show you the, uh, the parallelism, to show you wise and foolish in verse 1 foolish and wise in verse 3. And so they form kind of the the sandwich, if you will, the top slice, bottom slice of bread. And uh, it's the verse in the middle then that takes center stage. It has the emphasis in in this kind of inclusio structure. And so uh, we talked about wives and mothers there, either constructive or destructive. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And so are you building up or tearing down? And it's, it's one or the other in a, in a black and white kind of contrast. And uh, the issue's there. Our attitude toward the Lord shapes our walk. And uh, we see this in verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who despise, is devious in his ways despises him. And remember, this is the meat of the sandwich. This is the centerpiece of the inclusio. So it's the big point that we want to take away from uh, this particular poetic unit. It comes down to the attitude towards the Lord. Do we fear the Lord? Or uh, do we have this deviousness that we uh, pursue? He who is devious in his ways despises him. Do we fear him or do we despise him in the contrast there? Thirdly, we look at husbands and fathers. And by the way, you don't have the word husband or father in verse 3. And that's why it's important that you identify the poetic structure. You identify what the the uh, the structure is here in these verses so that you see that this is in the parallelism of wise and foolishness in the contrast to the women that are mentioned specifically in verse 1. Then uh, we take the masculine gender here in verse 3 and understand it as the husbands and the fathers, either prideful or protective to the house that they had. And uh, took the time to work through those principles as well. We moved on to verse 4 and had a lot of fun with clean mangers. Where uh, no oxen are, the manger is clean. 
And yeah, spick and span until you put an animal in there. All right, and uh, you, you want to keep it that way? You want to keep it spick and span? Then don't put any animals in there. But there's consequences. The consequences are you don't get any work done or you get very little work done because there is much revenue that comes by the strength of the ox. And so, and I loved on Sunday what we were hearing about with the, the, uh, the horses that were pulling together. Was that Sunday we were hearing about that? No, it was not Sunday we were hearing about that. Or did I dream that? about the horse that can pull a certain amount and two horses that can pull a certain amount. And then, no, it was a Dave Ramsey video. Never mind, that wasn't here. That was, all right. I will, uh, I'll find a copy of that video and share that with you next week. But if you want to get much work done, much revenue, there is much revenue that comes by the strength of the ox. And so how much is much? And how little is little? And how much is too much? And what's the point of having revenue? What is the design of income? And as God has designed it, why has God provided the animals for us to increase our income? Why has God designed such things as tools? Why has God designed such things that, uh, that provide greater efficiency in our work and greater results in our work? And uh, why does God himself uh, not only design those things, but he employs those things? And as we are in his image, all of these principles of work and production and income and savings and abundance and wealth, all of these are not bad things, <laughs> all right? Biblically speaking, this is what God has designed for our blessing. And uh, a lot of aspects there. So you can take a verse like uh, verse uh, 4 and really uh, from that verse and other passages in Scripture you can present a very biblical model for economics, for capitalism, for profits, for uh, all the things that it seems this generation is being taught to, uh, to reject and to hate and to call evil in, uh, in different ways. And uh, the Bible uh, defends them and, and exalts them in uh, time and time and time again. All right. So hard work is messy. The manger may be clean, but the manger is also not fulfilling its purpose. Like clean teeth, this circumstance is not good. And, uh, you know, there's revenue and then there's much revenue. And then really there's nothing wrong with much revenue. There's nothing wrong with an abundance. And uh, the idea of, of, uh, and, of this being hated and you, well you're just greedy and you have too much and you should be content you uh, that's uh, if you have enough then you should be content and they're conflating those issues all right because just because i have an abundance does not mean i'm not content i, I am content and i'm content with what he's provided and i'm content with the abundance and the abundance is there for the purpose of sharing and uh, and that's uh, abundance is not the opposite of contentment Okay? Because I know a ton of people with all kinds of abundance and they have no contentment whatsoever, as we've illustrated and as we've taught. So there's revenue and then there's much revenue. And so we want the rab tavuah as opposed to the tavuah. When we have the rav, when we have the abundance, then we are able to share. Man benefits from the strength of the ox, and this is a right. And it is a right, but it also comes with a responsibility. And... Um, you know, if a man has regard for the life of his animal, I get that. I love that. Yes, we want to teach that. We have appropriate human-animal uh, interactions, and we're not going to be abusing the animal. We're not torturing the animal. We're not that that defies God's design. Uh, in in that, so animal cruelty is not a is not you can't defend that biblically. 
Um, but at the same time, while I have regard for the life of my animal, the, the emphasis there is my animal, okay? A man has regard for the rights, uh, for the, the life of his animal. And uh, you've got a possessive pronoun there. That, that means the animal belongs to that person. You have possession, you have ownership, you have authority, you have sovereignty. And so what you choose to do with that animal, are you going to shear it for the wool? Are you going to milk it for the milk? Are you going to kill it for the meat? What are you going to do? Are you going to breed it? Are you going to mate it? Are you going to use that animal to, to make more animals? What are you going to do? It's your animal. And while it remains yours, it is yours to do with as you will, applying wisdom, applying God's principles. And so uh, the idea of ownership there is, and that's something that comes into attack too, uh, there's, there's a whole wing of animal, right people, animal rights people out there that would deny human ownership of pets, that uh, that, that pet is a, is a living being and you have no right to claim ownership of that pet kind of a thing. Well, if, uh, if I'm feeding it and I'm caring for it and it's under my roof, then that's, I, that's my pet, okay? And uh, if, I'm, if I'm paying, I, that pet's not paying for its own food, okay? I'm paying for the food. Anyway, issues there. Don't get me on that, I'll preach the whole thing all over again. But um, that was a couple weeks ago when we talked about animals. Now we've got to get to point three, which you also dealt with. This was our last time together in uh, verse 5. And verse 5 is kind of a no-brainer. In verse 5, you kind of read it and go, well, duh, okay? And, and then you stop yourself because God's not stupid and God doesn't write, you know, dumb stuff for no reason. Um, verse 5, a trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies, okay? Now, you might think that's a tautology. That just goes without saying because that's what a trustworthy witness is. That's what a trustworthy witness does, uh, you know, and, and a false witness. If that's what a false witness is, then that's what a false witness does. That's like saying a thief steals. Did you know that the thieves steal things? Well, yeah, I get that. Thieves steal things because you know what? That's what a thief is by definition. Okay? If, 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 if you have a person that doesn't, never steals anything, then you can't call that person a thief. They're not a thief. Because that's a label, that, that term is a label, that, that it, it's a noun, yes it's a noun, but it's a noun that's ascribed on the basis of the activity, on the basis of the verb, okay? And so it's like a murderer. You're, you, you can't be a murderer until you murder somebody. And every, every murderer has murdered somebody. That's what made them a murderer, okay? And so you have the idea, and, and this should be, this used to be, without question. It's only in probably the last 40 years now that language has been so deconstructed and insanity has, you know, the, the inmates are now ruling the asylum. Because now you can be something without doing something. Now you can be, because now, see, here's the thing, now you can have a particular orientation. See, I'm not really a murderer, I just have a homicidal orientation. Okay? And and so I, I want to walk in homicidal pride parades or something of that nature. I want to, um, or, or kleptomaniac, you know, I'm not really a thief. I just have a, um, you know, appropriation orientation. I, I, I take stuff, okay? And so it, don't, don't, don't you dare judge me for my stealing. Stealing is not morally wrong. 
I'm, it's beautiful. I'm expressing my acquisitional orientation. Okay? Now, we're giggling because everything I'm saying is absolutely ludicrous on its face. Except, of course, and, and including, I should say, including the exception to the rule that is only an exception because the carnal society is demanding that it's so. Okay? That somehow um, sin is not sin anymore. All right. So, um, guess what? Liars lie. And uh, trustworthy people are trustworthy. Beyond that, beyond the generic truthful person and the generic liar, you know, if we're just talking about a hypothetical, hypothetical trustworthy guy, fine, we can do that. But beyond that, we have the entire Bible in a nutshell. We have a synthesis. We have a, a, uh, a, a um, description of the whole Bible here. We have, because it's the God of truth versus the father of lies. It comes right down to it. Humanity is created to resolve the angelic conflict. And the angelic conflict centers on the, uh, the father of lies versus God the Father. Satan said, I will. And he has five I wills. And, and the, the angelic conflict is what it is on the basis of what Satan has done and the third of the angels that went with him. And, uh, and so here we are. And this is what's revealed in Scripture. We have the God of truth. We have the Son of truth. We have the Spirit of truth. And um, God the Father is the God of truth, Psalm 31, 5. His Son is faithful and true. Again and again, He has that name, Revelation 1, 5, Revelation 3, 14, Revelation 19, 11. It's written on His thigh when He's riding the horse and He comes down out of heaven to conquer at Armageddon. His name is called Faithful and True. He is the faithful and true witness, the Amen. That's why Amen is another title. Amen is a Hebrew expression that means I believe it or it is true. Plus we got the spirit of truth in John 14, 17, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, okay? And we looked at all these verses, right? We looked at all these a couple weeks ago, three weeks, last time we were here, okay. We could spend a whole hour in, in John, this is the upper room and walk to the garden discourse right here. This is when Jesus is promising the disciples that a stewardship is about to be unveiled whereby he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And uh, the blessings of having Jesus Christ victorious seated at the Father's right hand and the Holy Spirit sent forth to indwell every member of the body of Christ, that is a unique blessing that's never, never been on this planet until Pentecost or 33 AD, until the birth of the church. And we still have it to this day. We have it until the trumpet sounds. And then when the trumpet sounds and the bride is caught up to be with the Lord in the air, then that permanent indwelling, sealing, baptizing, identifying ministry of the Holy Spirit is over and done with. The Holy Spirit will return to the ministry that He had in the Old Testament. He'll return to the functions and the operations that He had in Israel's previous former uh, stewardship. Because that stewardship will be resumed uh, after the rapture of the church. All right, And uh, aspects there. So the Spirit of truth, what a blessing that we have. In John 14, 17, 15, 26, 16, 13, 1 John 4, 6. This is why, by the way, no believer in the church age should be terrified of false teaching. That if you want to know the truth, you will know the truth. If you are positive, if you have a fear of the Lord, if you want to walk right, all right? I think those that accumulate the false teachers want to accumulate false teachers. Those that, uh, that, that buy into deceptive, destructive heresies they want to buy into destructive 
heresies. That's what tickles their ears. But if they want to know the truth, God the Holy Spirit will not allow His child to buy into a destructive heresy. Okay? Issues there. And so all of that on the one hand, God the God of truth versus the liar and the father of lies on the other hand. That's what the angelic conflict centers on. Are you serving God the Father or are you serving Satan? John 8, 44, of course, expresses that, that he is the liar and the father of lies. All right, now that gets us now into verses 6 and 7. I'm going to take each one individually. Some people try to take 5, 6, and 7 as an inclusio, and I just don't think it's there. And um, I'm, I'm going to teach verse 5 as a separate verse, 6 as a separate verse, 7 as a separate verse, and, uh, and that. All right, so verse uh, 6 which becomes point four in our outline. Uh, Verse six, a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. So a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. And here's a fun verse, and I love this, and this is why we're all here today and what we can rejoice in. The problem is, so point four, natural mindedness and carnal mindedness are hindrances to apprehending God's wisdom. Natural mindedness, and of course we know this from 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to look at that here this morning. Essentially what we have here in verse 6 is is what Paul will expand upon in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. A natural natural mindedness and carnal mindedness are hindrances to apprehending God's wisdom. Yet, an impulse to search for it somehow remains. Yet, an impulse to search for it somehow remains. And really, I'm only going to cover the first half of verse six with this point. I'll, I'll give you six B under point five. All right, I'm just going to focus on the first half of verse six. This is Proverbs 14, 6a, if you will. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. Let's just stop with that. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. Now we'll get to the second part in a moment, the part that applies to you and to me, that knowledge is easy to one who has understanding, to the, nat- to the spiritual man, to the believer uh, who is, has the fear of the Lord and is, is positive to the Word of God. Doctrine is easy when you're positive. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really is. It is easy when you're positive because the Holy Spirit's gonna gonna teach and, and the Lord's gonna feed. Okay, all you got to do is eat, and He's He's taking you there. We'll get to that. Let's start though with the first half. That's a sad, sad part of the verse. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. Now, this is an interesting principle to me, and I've been chewing on this for a while now because this. Um, this, if this was the only verse in the Bible, I think we'd be better with it. But uh, the fact that there are other verses where we, we, we want to throw out a, yeah, but wait a minute, why are they seeking? They don't seek. Nobody seeks. There is none who, none who seeks. No, not one. Wait a minute. This guy is seeking. And there's other verses that talk about seeking. And why does he want wisdom? What does he think he's going to get with wisdom? And he's got reasons for getting what he thinks he wants, even though he doesn't like the one that's giving it. Okay? Does that make sense? And yet, there is still a part of humanity that I think it's because we're made in the image of God. I think it's because our human soul is attuned to God Himself that 
even the carnal-minded, atheistic God-hater wants wisdom of some kind, wants to have a wisdom, even if it's the wisdom of this world. He wants to outdo his fellow atheistic (laughs) God-haters. He wants to have more wisdom than them in their uh, counterfeit form of wisdom. Okay? There is a, an impulse to search for wisdom. Even if they don't understand it, even if they don't like it, they still want to know what it is. And, and I, I think, ultimately speaking, they want to know what it is so they can twist it. They want to know what it is so they can pervert it. Fundamentally. And uh, Satan clearly does, and I think his minions often do as well. So, I mean, it's, it, it can't be coincidental and it can't be accidental that it just seems like name your issue i don't we can talk about anything this morning name your issue you want to talk about borders okay there's what the bible says about it and then there's what the political left wants to do tear down borders you want to talk about so immigration borders you want to talk about marriage there's what the bible says and there's what the militant left wants to impose you want to talk about children raising children here's what the bible says you want to talk about race relations. You want to talk about, I mean, I don't care. Any topic under the sun. Biblical economics. Here's what the Bible says. And every issue, I've yet to find one whereby there's a conscious endeavor right now in this world today. How about Israel? I'm so proud of our president. Okay? He's going to, at noon today, he's going to make a, he's going to stand, he's going to say, the United States of America believes that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And we're going to move our cat. We're going to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Okay, presidents have talked about it. Reagan talked about it. Reagan said, "I want to do it." Never did. Okay, George W. gave it lip service. Never did. But there's a speech at noon today. I'm eager to eager to hear it when it happens. Anyway, so name the issue. The Bible will present the standard, and there is a conscious effort to go the opposite direction, no matter what. And I think it's deliberate. I think if you say the sky is blue, they'll say, no, it's not as green. Only for the sake of arguing. When any fool can plainly see, the sky is blue. Okay? Unless you're colorblind or it's cloudy or something. Um, Anyway. And this is the natural mindedness or the carnal mindedness. Now, the difference between the two, of course, is the, the natural mind is not even saved. The carnal mind is saved but not living like it. That's the difference. So, uh, a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. You cannot apprehend the Word of God when you're out of fellowship. If you're sitting here this morning in carnality, doctrine can't, the best you're going to get is some milk can seep through in carnality. And if you're not saved, then not even milk is going to seep through. Milk won't even reach the unbeliever. But milk can reach, you can, you can nurse back to health as a carnal believer with milk. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, and I think we're familiar with this, but just in case, um, I've taught it so many times in the 1 Corinthians series, obviously, but then in every other series I think I've ever done, um, spirituality versus carnality comes up. How do you confess your sins? How do you get restored back to fellowship? Why do I want to be in fellowship instead of out of fellowship? Okay, Because there is such a thing as a carnal believer. It, It couldn't be more plain than anything, and yet I've got friends that will tell me, no, 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 there's, that's a myth. There's no such thing as a carnal believer. And I said, if you keep telling me that, you're going to see a carnal believer very quickly. <laughs> you're going to make me carnal if you keep telling me that. 
So we don't want to do a demonstration. Let's just read the doctrine for what it says. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So this is an inability. This is a very plain inability that Scripture describes. There's a lot of theology that creates inability that the Bible doesn't defend, but here's a plain text that defends an inability. This is the inability of the natural man to apprehend spiritual truth. Spiritual truth must be spiritually apprehended. Okay? And that's it. That's verse 14. That's as plain as, as anything. The natural man is the soulish man. The term is psukikos, and it's a, the psuke is the soul. And we all have souls. The believer has a soul. The unbeliever has a soul. Every, every human has a soul. That's what it means to be human. All right? And so that's human. But see, until you're saved, you don't have a living human spirit. Until you're saved, you're, you, I believe you have a dead human spirit in a, in a symbiotic, it's like uh, Siamese twins, you know? If you're carrying twins and uh, one of those twins is dead, is that a good thing for the other twin in the, in the womb? Okay. What if they're actually Siamese twins? What if they're linked, if they're connected, conjoined, not Siamese, conjoined, I'm so racist. The, the term is now conjoined twins, okay? 50 years ago it was Siamese twins. Um, and one of those is dead? That's not good for the other one, okay? And so think about the soul spirit. When I draw out the soul spirit, that's my diagram on my soul spirit. Can I do this? I cannot do that. Back up. Can I do that? No, I can't do that. Back up. I was going to get my drawing thing out. How do I get my drawing thing out? Here we go. One note. That's a good one. Let's not do that one. though. Let's do this one. So when I draw the inner man, all right, this, this is how I diagram the inner man. I put a dividing asunder between soul and spirit. And I, I, I think of them as a unity because there are passages of Scripture that describe them as a unity. There are Bible verses that say, though the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. Okay? And so the outer man, I get that, it's my physical body. The inner man. What's the inner man? It's the soul spirit. Okay? It's the soul spirit. Now there are passages that would refer to soul and spirit interchangeably. But there are passages that refer to the soul and spirit distinctly, such as the, the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And so if there's something that you can chop in half, right? Like a watermelon, you can chop in half. A cantaloupe, you can chop in half. Whatever, you know, throw a thing up in the air and grab your scimitar and chop it in half. To, uh, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. This is something that the Word of God cuts right through. So I describe it as a unity, okay? And in this, uh, the peach pit here, what's in the, what's in the core of the soul spirit? That's the cardia, that's the heart, okay? So this is my diagram, that's the heart. The heart is not a synonym for soul, the heart is not a synonym for spirit, soul is not a synonym for spirit. So these are the different terms, okay? We also have a mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And um, anyway, there's different, uh, different aspects there.
What am I drawing now? Oh, okay. So um, the, the natural man. The natural man is the soulish man. The word natural is psuchikos for soulish. The soulish man, okay? But he who is spiritual, this is spiritual. That's what this passage gets to, okay? Any questions on that? That's our diagram? Oh, all different words, yeah. Psuche is soul, pneuma is spirit, cardia is heart, nous is mind. Yeah. Inner man, outer man, different terminology. So because there is an overall term called the inner man, I'm fine with that. I like Bible terms. That's my umbrella term for everything that's of the invisible realm, everything that's non-physical, non-tangible, everything that's in the, in the invisible, intangible dimension as opposed to my body, which is in the physical dimension. All right. So that's the inner man. It's the soul spirit. And for the unbeliever, until you're saved, this thing over here is dead. Okay? Now there is another theory that says it doesn't even exist yet, that it gets created at, at the moment of salvation. Um, I don't hold to that theory, but I understand there are faithful men who do. I believe it's there. I believe it's there as a dead thing. I believe it's a dead spirit that uh, through procreation comes body, soul, and dead human spirit. Okay? There's other views on that as well. So, the moment you're saved, however, guess what? It's quickened. It's made alive. And I think that term for quickening, the quickening language lends support to my view that it's a dead thing that already pre-exists that's made alive. Okay? The quickening language I don't think supports the view that says, well, it wasn't even there at all, and then God created it and quickened it simultaneously kind of a thing. I I find that fuzzy. So uh, he who is natural, he who is spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? To be saved. To have a living human spirit, okay? And not to be quenching the Holy Spirit when... uh, that living human spirit should be taking in the Word of God. So, back to my text then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A natural man, a soulish man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Remember, the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. The natural man is just saturated with the wisdom of this world. And he's not equipped to understand God's wisdom. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. So both issues are true. It's foolishness and he cannot understand because they are spiritually appraised. Without a living human spirit, you cannot comprehend the Word of God. Okay? Without a living human spirit. By the way, this gets taught wrong sometimes. Sometimes people read that and say, oh, um, uh, they cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God um, they're spiritually appraised. They say, I need the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit to cycle doctrine. That's not right. Okay? Because this, has, this passage isn't talking about the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about souls and spirits, human spirits. You have to be spiritually alive to apprehend truth. If, if you read the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit into that verse, 
then no Old Testament believer could ever cycle doctrine. <laughs> How does an Old Testament believer learn the Word of God? Because the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit was reserved for the church age. So the, the natural man is the unbeliever that's soul only. The spiritual man is a believer who has a soul and living human spirit. And with a living human spirit you can apprehend the Word of God. Any believer with a living human spirit, Old Testament, New Testament, millennial, fullness of times, any believer with a living human spirit can apprehend the Word of God. Okay? Sometimes I like to use AM and FM radios, but kids these days don't know what an AM and FM radio even is. Okay? But you used to have AM and FM radios and, and uh, you know, if, if all you have in the car is the AM radio, and uh, it was my first car, all I had was AM, and then I got a second car that had an FM, ooh, and then a car that had a tape deck. Wow, I still have that car. Um, the, uh, but if you're trying to listen to an FM radio transmission, all you got is an AM radio, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it at all. And that's what, in my illustration, then the soul is the, uh, is the AM radio, and the uh, spirit is the FM radio. And so uh, if you're going to, if you have a living human spirit, then you just added the FM radio to your, uh, to your car and, uh, and there you go. You can hear the FM radio broadcast. Now, he who is spiritual appraises all things and he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now we get into chapter 3 and it's a different question. It's a different issue. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Okay, so we're great through chapter 2. We got some solid doctrine. We got this. This is perfect. I get this doctrine. I can teach this. And then I hit chapter 3 and I go, oh, wait a minute. Paul tells the Corinthians here, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Why is that? Are they not saved? Did, uh, did the Corinthian believers lose their salvation? why can he not talk to them as to spiritual men? Does he say, I can't speak to you as to spiritual men because you used to be saved, you lost your salvation, I need to talk to you as to natural men? Natural man isn't in this chapter. He's, and now we get to the carnal man. I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. So now we have men of flesh. This is our language for carnality. It's a whole different word. It's not the word for natural. It's the word sarks. It's the word for flesh. And so now something happens whereby my spirit is not dead because uh, it's got eternal life. It can never die. But I am no longer operating on this fellowship basis. So now I'm out here and I am in carnality. And what happens in carnality when I'm out of fellowship that's right. The, the solid food, I can't handle the solid food. And in fact, nursing on milk is about the only intake that's possible. So I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, as to men of flesh, but as to, I'm sorry, uh, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. That's the only way I could talk to you, to try to get through your carnality as infants in Christ. A carnal believer, the only baby doctrine is all they're going to get, the milk from the Word of God. Starting with, you need to confess your sins. <laughs> okay? Rebound is a milk doctrine. You say, you need to get back in fellowship. You're sitting here in carnality right now. Okay? So uh, come back when you're in fellowship and we'll talk. <laughs> All right? 
And because, uh, you know, in the meantime, you can't handle it. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. You were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Carnality keeps you. Now the natural man, you can't take anything in. The natural man, nothing. Can't apprehend a thing. But at least the carnal man can take in milk and uh, hopefully enough to confess and motivate you to get back in fellowship again. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Well, uh, By the way, this is going to come up again in Hebrews. This comes up in Hebrews when he says you should be, by now you should be teachers of the law. And instead they have a dullness of hearing and they got issues there that would keep stunting their growth. For you are still fleshly. You are still sarks, sarkikos in the, in the adjective. Sarkikos, you are still fleshly. You are carnal. He calls this whole church carnal. And yet people look me in the eye and say there's no such thing as a carnal believer. Okay then, you're confident to be a fellow editor of the Word of God with God. I'm not I'm not, God doesn't call me to edit His Word. He calls me to teach His Word. Here's what He says. So you're taking it out of your Bible. It's in mine. There it is. Since you are still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like a mere man? All those uses of fleshly there is all carnal, 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 carnal. So that's the issue. Before you're saved, you can't take in any doctrine. After you're saved... Unless you're fleshly, unless you're carnal, then hey, you're in fellowship, marvelous. Then your living human spirit can take in the Word of God. So long as you're not carnal, so long as you're not putting an obstacle there, so long as you're not through carnality now in your sin, with your sin, that will put a, a barrier between you and God every time. So keep short accounts, confess your sins. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, woohoo, let's go to Bible class. My, hum, my living human spirit can take in the things of the Word of God. It's a marvelous uh, truth. All right. And that's, by the way, that's a, that's a snapshot doctrine that uh, no one has signed up for yet on some, the Sunday night rotation. That's interesting to me because it's easy and it ought to be taught at the beginning of every Bible class so that we don't uh, sit here in carnality and waste an hour. All right. So natural mindedness and carnal mindedness are hindrances. Of course, natural mindedness is a total hindrance. Carnal mindedness is a partial hindrance to apprehending God's wisdom. Yet an impulse to search for it somehow remains. Why is he seeking it? Why is he seeking it? He doesn't find it, but why does he keep looking? Why does he care what God even says? And so this had me thinking about some other ideas, and it took me back to Genesis, in Genesis 3 and verse 6. This is part of my Questions in Genesis series. I want to start a nonprofit organization called Questions in Genesis. It'd be an international, multi billion dollar global parachurch ministry. I'm going to call it Questions in Genesis. And uh, because, you know, Genesis does not have every answer. Genesis, um, there are a lot of answers in Genesis, yes. But there are things Genesis does not answer. You've got to go beyond Genesis to get those answers. And so here's a woman looking at a tree. Okay. The only woman in the world with one command 
and she doesn't like it. All right. So the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, truly, is it so? Has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Did God really say that? No, God didn't say that. Why are you putting words in God's mouth? All right, now, this is, this is the nature of Satan. He twists the Bible, he, he turns it around, and uh, he's just a liar, right? Has God? No, he didn't say that. We can eat from any tree we want to, just not this one I'm staring at. <laughs> just not this one that I feel compelled to come by and look at every day. Or, I mean, we don't know. We don't know how long it's been. We don't know how often she went by this place. We don't know. I mean, she was there and she was looking at it. He saw her there looking at it. I suspect it was not the first time she was there looking at it. And so he feels confident to ask the question. Wow. And, and I think obviously they were eating from other trees. They hadn't eaten from the tree of life yet. I don't know, maybe this was day one. Maybe, maybe they hadn't had a chance to even have dinner yet. And this is how quick she fell. Um, how quick he fell. They both fell. So, um, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees, plural, of the garden we may eat. Any tree on the planet we can eat, just not this one. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, she added that part herself. God didn't say anything about touching it. You can touch it. Nothing wrong with touching it. Just don't eat it. And we don't know why she added that. Was that something that Adam added? Was that something that, you know, where did she get that? Was that just something she made up herself? We don't know. You know, the command was don't eat from it, so Adam said don't touch it. Who knows, okay? A possibility that 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 was Adam's requirement to keep her from eating it, don't even touch it. Did he add that? Um, We don't know, but anyway, she added it. She says it out loud here. So now the serpent says to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows in the day you eat from it, see, God's lying to you. God's lying to you. You're not going to die. And, and notice he doesn't correct her, her own error. He doesn't say, oh, you can touch it. He doesn't care to correct that, you know, because he's going to take her through more realms of lies. And if she's already bought into one, then that's all the better. Um, you're not going to die. See, now he's not just asking questions. Now he's flat out contradicting. Now he's flat out contradicting. It's like saying, did God really design that? No, 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 no. This is good too. Do this. God's lying to you. Here's what God's not telling you. God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. You'll be like the Elohim. God's plural. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's. Satan himself being one of those Elohim. There's a whole cadre of Elohim that uh, we study when we look at advanced angelology. Knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. So God knows this and you don't know this. And God's withholding this from you. There's something God's not telling you. He told you one thing because He doesn't want you to know this other thing. God is limiting what you know. And so uh, there it is. Now, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now it's, where did that come from? That wasn't part of Satan's lie. 
Satan said, uh, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Satan says nothing about the food. But the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So that kind of gives us a hint what her motivation was. Never mind there's a whole planet full of trees. Eat whatever you want. Just don't eat that. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Huh. Satan didn't say anything about delight to the eyes either. Satan didn't say, boy, that fruit looks pretty. He didn't say, isn't that a pretty? Look at that fruit. Whatever fruit it was. It's a pretty red or yellow or orange or whatever. It's, it, it, it's a nice color. It looks, you know, whatever it was. It looks good. We got the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life being illustrated here in this, in this episode. So here's what she sees. He's given her a pack of lies, but she still seems to be operating on the basis of her own uh, impressions, her own attitudes, her own uh, desires. She's hungry and it looks good. It's just pretty. It's a delight to the eyes. And now the kicker. It was desirable to make one wise. You know, it's, it's curious to me. Why does the scoffer seek wisdom and not find it? Why does he even care about wisdom? Why does she even care about wisdom? The word wisdom hasn't even been used yet. Satan didn't use it. It's not the tree of wisdom. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But this uh, desirable to make one wise, I think it speaks to a, uh, an aspect of the human soul that's beyond sin, that's beyond carnality, it's beyond the lost estate in Adam. It's actually a part of the original design of the human soul in the image of God. And the, uh, the desire, the impulse to search for wisdom. Okay? Because um, having knowledge of goodness and having knowledge of badness, having knowledge of goodness, having knowledge of evil, you can have knowledge and not be wise. But if you have wisdom, do you need specific factual data? Do you need the knowledge? Do you need the gnosis of goodness, the gnosis of of evil, if in fact you have wisdom? Okay? So it's like a shortcut to to the end, to have wisdom. It was desirable to make one wise. So she took from his fruit and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the language of the verbs there, she took, she ate, she gave to her husband with her. I think he was with her the whole time. He was with her. The the expression with her. I don't think you can separate it from she took, she ate, she gave to her husband with her. He heard the whole conversation. First Timothy tells us he was not deceived. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew and they knew. All right. Anyway, there is an impulse for wisdom that goes back to before the fall. How about Job? The earliest book of the Bible. I believe it was composed before uh, Genesis was composed. It received its written form before Genesis received its written form. Job 28. I think it's, well... The rabbis felt that Moses wrote it and he obtained the information from his father-in-law during the time of his uh, exile in Midian. 
and uh, anyway, either wrote it at that time or wrote it in Hebrew uh, during the wilderness wanderings after the Exodus, but either way. Uh, Job 28, and uh, it's verses 12 and following, but you'll notice uh, verses 1 through 11, surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust, copper is smelted from the rock. So this, uh, we, we recognize that if there's something of value, you may have to work for it to get it. There's something of intrinsic value, but in its natural resource state, you've got to go and extract those natural resources. You're not raping the planet when you extract a natural resource. The Bible makes very clear that the natural resources are by God's creation, by God's design for our benefit, but we have to work to go get it. So man puts an end to the darkness and to the farthest limit he searches it out. The rock in gloom and deep shadow he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. You ever go spelunking? I used to do that in my Boy Scout days. It was fun. But you're crawling through mud and muck and filth and mire and dirt and dark and, and you're going to realms that humanity was not suited. Uh, we are not subterranean creatures. We are surface creatures. That when we go underground, we need flashlights. We need ropes. We need equipment and gear. And, and that's good. God, you know, we get these tools and we go do that stuff. All right. Anyway, there's a whole lot here, uh, even to the point of, um, you know, we're going places animals aren't going. We're uh, hewing out channels through the rocks, digging a, an aqueduct to channel water in to withstand a siege. What a glory. Hezekiah provided water for uh, Jerusalem. Um, he dams up the streams from flowing. That and what is hidden he brings out to the light. All of this is positive. Industry is good when it's biblical, when it's pursuing God's provision. Nothing wrong with damming a stream. Okay? And we can irrigate with the water, we can generate electricity, we can, there's a lot you can do with hydroelectric power. It's renewable, it's clean. All right. Now, all of that, that's work. That's hard work. That's, 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 uh, then it asks the question, where can wisdom be found? Okay? Because if you think it's hard to extract natural resources, and if, you know, we look at the, the industrial complex, do we have a truth complex that works just as hard? Is there a doctrinal, industrial, industrial doctrinal complex that's digging it out? Okay? Well, in certain circles, sure. But we are a minority. We are a small minority of those that are digging for truth. Where can wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep say it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. You know, we, have, we, have we gone to the deepest parts of the earth? Have we climbed the highest mountain? Is there, a, is there an extreme that humanity has not yet reached? Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can its silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued. So, in other words, there is, a, there is a scale here that it's beyond the dimensions of the physical universe and its value is beyond the dimensions of the physical universe. So you can't dig for it. Gold or glass cannot equal it. Anyway, it goes down. It's a fairly 
lengthening, uh, lengthened thing here, but when we get to uh, verse 20, where then does wisdom come from? Uh, verse 18, coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. So where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Wait a minute now. Now we start to get into angelic terminology with uh, humanity and angelity being contrasted here. Abaddon and death say with our ears we have heard a report of it. And uh, for the carnally minded and the naturally minded, uh, there's a temptation to listen to demons. There's a temptation to get spiritual information from spiritual beings. The problem is those spiritual beings are fallen angels. They're demons. Don't listen to them. Don't go to the medium. Don't go to the witch. Don't go to the, the fortune teller. Don't go to the, you know, the demons will tell you what, they, what you want to hear. And they'll tell you what they want you to hear. No, we have God. The source is God. And if you have the Spirit of God, if you have a living human spirit, then you can listen to what the Spirit of God will communicate. He that has ears, let him hear. And so uh, don't listen to Abaddon and death. So God understands its way. He knows its place. Anyway, everything else that God has done, He looks to the ends of the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. If you have, if you have a biblical creationist model to your universe then you will have the fear of the Lord to, uh, to receive His wisdom. When He imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when He set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then He saw it and declared it and established it also and searched it out. And to man He said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Okay? There it is. Now, Job understood this, what, 2,500 years before Proverbs was even written. <laughs> all right? Job understood all this doctrine long before the canon of Scripture, long before Proverbs. There is a, an impulse to search for, and I think it comes from creation itself, and I think it comes from being in God's image and a desire for wisdom. Matthew eleven twenty five. Matthew eleven twenty five. Are we getting warm enough yet? You know, I walked in this morning and the air conditioning was on. And I said, you know, we don't need air conditioning on a morning like this. Uh, the platform is very toasty, yes, but uh, whatever you all are doing, I'm, I've got five minutes left, so. I can suffer for Jesus and lay up treasure in heaven. This is like the mission field. Okay, it's just slightly warm on the platform. <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, of all the things to call God in this context, he calls him Lord of heaven and earth. Because this, the, the principle of wisdom is being linked with creation. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. Now, if they're wise, how come wisdom is hidden? Well, what kind of wisdom do they have if they're wise, and yet this wisdom is hidden? You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. See, that's why it's easy. Doctrine is easy if you have the fear of the Lord. 
Doctrine is easy. A babe can take in milk. Doctrine is easy if you follow the design. And so an infant can long for the pure milk of the Word of God. There is a, there is a rooting and nursing instinct built into every human baby. And you know, you don't have to go to college and get a degree. You just have to put the baby's mouth to the mother's nipple. And okay, some need a little bit of work, but you know, there is an instinct. There is a rooting and, and nursing, sucking instinct that is built into I had one child that was a little knuckleheaded, but you know, it didn't take long. There's hunger. All right. And and why is that? I think it's an illustration. God is designing us that way to teach us. So you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so we have a provision here. And so what God reveals, what God makes known, and, and it's, it's easy when you're following His design. And if you're doing your own thing, the wise and the intelligent, they'll never come. The wise, they'll never understand. To them it has not been given. I'm out of time. we got Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. i got 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18. I, I want to spend some time on this. So we'll come back to this next week. Because I want to spend some time on this. That impulse to search for. There is an impulse to search for wisdom. Even God's wisdom. Even in a perverted way to twist it into Satan's wisdom. And so I don't want to just rush through Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 3 uh, because I think if we rush through them then we're going to miss what they really say. So thank you Father for this day. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this food. And uh, not only the spiritual food Father but there's a gathering uh, here shortly of, of earthly food as well. I want to thank you for that. The blessings of fellowship, the blessings of all your grace. We thank you and praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.